with that, I just want to say thank you again for your faithfulness uh, in giving. Uh, last Sunday, you know, again, we we don't, and we're not receiving an offering. I don't know if we'll ever go back to the old way of doing it. Just some things changed. It's, uh, it's become obviously easier for everybody. If you, if you give, you know, again, as scripture says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing anyway. There's an agape box at the back there. You can drop your offering there. You can mail it into the church. Uh, you can text it in. Um, somehow it goes up there and then goes around and then comes out over at our bank. I don't know how that all works, but but it but the bills are being paid, so it's working. That's all I, I know that, and God is faithful. And uh, yeah, you can uh, give the Lord a clap offering and, and yourselves as well, just being faithful to the Lord. Thank you for that. And uh, again, last Sunday, you know, like I said, we didn't even, we just, hey, it, on a, a day like that, there's so much going on. Uh, so we call this Double Giving Sunday. So if you thought, you thought, we, we did. We didn't announce anything last Sunday, but this is Double Dipping Sunday, okay? So, no, but uh, just thank you so much. <laughs> you guys are they like, I can't believe he would even say that. You know, I didn't have coffee this morning because I don't, I don't drink coffee, okay? So that's what's so funny about having a coffee shop. But I do drink mint lemonade, I'll tell you that. So, But if you have a Bible handy, I want to invite you to open it with me, if you would, um, to... Uh, Philippians chapter 2 here this morning, and uh, we'll take a moment here. We're going to read this together. Um, I want you to, if you would, in Philippians chapter 2, in verses 1 through 4, and it's it's really, you know, an interesting chunk of scripture here, because um, one of the things about it is in the Greek language, it's really one sentence. It'd be like in English, you'd get an F, you know, from your English teacher, because they would call that a run-on sentence, okay? But in the Greek language, this is really just one continuous thought. And uh, again, no periods in, you know, in it at all. And uh, again, uh, love the fact that, you know, as the Apostle Paul would share this with us, that as we study it here this morning, that um, the Lord would really do something afresh in each of our hearts and minds. It, it can be uh, this chapter uh, very convicting in a lot of ways uh, because of, of the topics. And my hope and my prayer is that, you know, sometimes when we come to church, it's easy just to kind of go through the motions. I mean, I know that even for myself. So um, I know it's easy to do. You can, and because of technology today, I've got two, you know, electronic devices up in front of me here. It's easy. You could be on those and, you know, off somewhere else, you know, doing your shopping and all those kind of things. And, and um, there's really a danger of that. You know, there's so many distractions. And one, one of the, the great blessings, you know, being able to come together on a Sunday is, is to allow the Lord to uh, speak into our lives in maybe a way that uh, he doesn't speak during the week. Because when I'm studying the Bible for myself, it's in a sense I'm hearing my own voice, right? And, and everything that I read goes through my own filter. And we'll talk about this as we get into this this morning. But when someone else is sharing, and that's what God uses, the foolishness of preaching, you can't control what I say. And because of that, sometimes I'll say things that, you know, will comfort you. They will bless you. Sometimes I'll say something that will just totally offend you. And it's not that, you know, and hopefully it's not just because I said something that was offensive. It's just that the word of God offends you. And I just happen to be saying it. And, and what that really speaks to is an issue that all of us struggle with. And it's what Paul will, will deal with today. It's the, it's the issue of pride. Because, you know, I've talked to so many of you, you know, and 
through the years, you know, and uh, we'll talk about passages of scripture and you'll go, you know, I don't, I don't agree with that. And I don't believe that, you know, and, and all we're doing is just being arrogant. We're being extremely prideful in that. And what I mean by that is because, you know, God has said it in his word, right? And in his word, it, it's not like there's a multiple choice of, of answers for God's word. When God wrote something or he communicated something, it meant something. And, and it wasn't like, you know, a multiple choice that you went, well, I, I, I kind of take it like this and somebody else can take it like this. You go, no, he had an audience that he was speaking to and his word meant what he said. Bless you. And one of the things that, you know, the that we run the risk of when we read scripture by ourselves is we filter it through our own circumstances. We filter it through our own emotions and, and our own likes and our dislikes, our prejudices, you know? And like I said, so when someone else is, is teaching, uh, you don't have the luxury of being able to alter it to fit, you know, uh, the way that you would like maybe to receive it. And so it's important that, you know, as we study God's word, that we come to him and we say, you know, just as Jesus taught the disciples to pray, not my will, but thine be done now, on earth as it is in heaven. And, and it's interesting. We use that word, you know, amen at the end of a prayer. Well, really it's, it's amen is not something that's just stated at the end of a prayer. It's really the beginning of it because it, amen just simply means so be it. So be it. And what we should be saying is every time we open up the Bible is so be it. God, I'm about to read your word, and so be it. Whatever your word says to do, that I'm going to do. Because why? Because I'm a, like Paul, that we read in Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, is a bond servant of Christ. But if we're really honest with ourselves, and we're honest with God, and we're honest with other people, we don't do that. We have certain things that, you know, like I said, we, we know what the scripture says, but we don't agree with it. You know, we, we, don't, we don't necessarily like it. Um, I don't know if I could even do this justice, like if I can re re even remember it. Um, most of us are familiar, have ever heard of J. Vernon McGee, right? Yeah, J. Vernon McGee, when I first gave my life to the Lord, he, I mean, I listened to him every day. And back then, you know, it, you could only listen to when it was on the, on the car radio, right? There wasn't, you didn't have the cassettes and CDs and MP3. You couldn't, there was no cloud. You couldn't download it. So you had to just sit there. So I'd like have an appointment or something. I was like, he's right in the middle of something. And I'm like, you know, so I'm trying to pretend like I'm writing or something, you know, taking an order. And I was like listening to Jay Vernon. And there was a, a time when he had shared about the struggle that you and I have because of pride to accept what God says and to accept it as being true. And so what'll happen, you know, is we don't agree with God. We actually, in some ways, we think what God said in his word doesn't really apply any longer. I mean, I've talked to some of you and you said, well, I, that's, you know, that's like Old Testament, you know. I mean, it's been a long time and so things have changed since then, you know. And you go, but his word hasn't changed. His word is truth. And, and the beauty of truth, absolute truth, which God's word is, is it's good for all people, all places, all times. And so J. Vernon McGee, he, he's walking through this argument and uh, he said, you know, I, I, I understand. You know, he's like, I understand how a man could, can struggle with listening to God. And, uh, he, and he, he said, uh, and it was, it was, he said something to the effect. He said, uh, you know, 
He goes, you, 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 might not, you might not like what God says. And you might have a better way of doing something. But the problem is, it's not your universe. And, and, and you, you think about that for a second. And, and one of the interesting things about it is, you know, we do, we question God. We, we read things or we hear Bible studies and we question, you know, I, I, don't, I don't understand, you know, why God would say that. Because, you know, like we'll go, well, we're living proof that that wasn't really true, right? That like, you know, God, there was a contradiction of some sort, you know, in scripture. Not realizing if you live long enough, what do you discover? That God is, is amazing. That, is, that his word is, is absolute. And that, that he is the creator of heaven and earth. And that God's ways are high above our ways. And, and even though I don't get it necessarily in that moment, if, like I said, if you live long enough, you start to understand that you go, thank God. Thank God. You know, uh, I, I had a discovery a couple of weeks ago. I, I never knew this. People would ask me, you know, and, and not in a polite way. Uh, they'd go, because I'd say, you know, I like, I, 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 there's some country Western music that I like, not all of it, but I, I like some country Western. There's some artists that I like. And so people always question me on that. They, I can't believe that you like country Western, you know, country Western music is responsible for more divorces. And I, I get that. That's, I don't like those guys that sing those songs. Okay. I like this song. It's a love song. It just happens to be sung by a country Western guy or gal or, you know, whatever, you know, and so you, you just, you know, you, you go through this. But you remember there was a song by Garth Brooks. It was called Unanswered Prayers. Yeah, and you go, well, there's something about that. If you live long enough, you know, we have, how many of you ever prayed for something by a show of hands? We can kind of prove this out. You prayed for something, you wanted it really bad, and God didn't give it to you. And you were mad at God. And, and, you were upset and you even tried to make it happen on your own. It just didn't work out. And then somewhere down the road, your eyes were open to it. And you were like Garth Brooks singing that song. You were going, thank God for unanswered prayers. Is there anybody besides me? Yeah, you go, yes. Yeah. And you go, so it, it shows us, you know, again, in our pride, you know, God, God is so good. And, he, and again, for us to approach his word, and just say, Lord, whatever it is that you're going to tell me in your word, that I'm going to do. And I'll tell you, when you start to understand that and, and believe that and then act upon that in your life, you're going to experience what Paul is talking about. You know, and we, we find 19 times, you know, in this book, the book of Philippians, that he talks about joy. And, he, and again, he's writing this, remember, from a Roman prison. You go, how does a guy who's imprisoned in Rome in the deepest, darkest, dungeonest place, and, and, and talk about having joy and, and, and not just, you know, based on circumstance, but based on a relationship with God, because he believed everything that God said. And he knew that the end result of, of his life, whether, remember he said in chapter one, whether it be his death or whether it be his life, you know, freedom from prison was going to be for the advancement, for the furthering of the gospel, because he recognized what he was here for, that he wasn't here for himself. You know, the most, and I'll read this in a moment, the most miserable people on this planet, the most joyless people on this planet are selfish, self-centered people. And so as we, we study through this, you know, um, and you think about pride, I want you to think about this just for a second, then we'll pray. 
think about for a moment the most prideful person that you know in your life. You think of, when you think of that person is proud, they are proud. And man, I wish they were here today to hear this, but I just want you to know they are. It's kind of a litmus test. If you thought of somebody other than yourself, you have a problem with pride. If you thought of yourself, perfect. That's exactly where God would want us all to be. Because there is nobody more proud than you and me that you know of. Because who do you know best? That's the key. Who do you know best? You. And if you know you the best, because you could say, oh, I know this about them. Like people say, oh, I know this about Pastor Mike. And I always tell Mike, man, that's only, that's not even a half of it. I mean, hey, man, that's the good part. So <laughs> you really think that's bad? I mean, man, geez, you know, no, because we know ourselves. And if we're honest with ourselves, then we recognize we're not just sinners by accident. We're sinners by choice. We need God's mercy. We need his grace. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we read your word today, I pray that, Lord, you would help us to comprehend it and understand it and apply it and not just be, as James said, a hearer of your word, but be a doer of your word. Lord, we, we want to experience more joy. There's not one of us in here today that doesn't want more joy. There's not one of us who's watching from home today that doesn't want more joy in our life. But, Lord, sometimes we get in the way of ourselves, and so help us today, Lord. Glorify your name, Lord, in all the earth. Glorify your name in us today that we might glorify you. We love you. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace, Lord. Change us, Lord. As Paul would declare in Philippians 1, that again, it's not if you begin a good work, it's because you have begun a good work in us. Complete it, Lord, and help us to hold still and to let you have your perfect way in us, God. And Lord, if there's sin in our life today, may we confess it as such, knowing that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Lord. Thank you for the effectiveness of your blood shed on Calvary's cross. We bless you today. We praise you together as we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul writes this, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. He uses the word there, Therefore, that's a key word because he's taking you back to the previous chapter, the end of the chapter there. He says basically the same, therefore, because of all these things that we just read or we just talked about, because we're breaking this down piece by piece. This was just written four chapters, 104 verses. Uh, Paul, you know, has laid this out. And so he says, therefore, because of everything that you just previously read, there's any consolation in Christ. If any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy, being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And, you know, the interesting thing, you know, about that is, like I said, there's, there's always, when you read God's word, you know, there's always an opportunity to, to extrapolate you know, direction from it. And I look at this and there's a couple of, when I titled this morning's message, uh, the don'ts and the do's of joy-filled relationships, you know. And, you know, as I, I, like I said, there's probably this particular book, you know, I, I've read it 
probably more than any other single book uh, in the Bible. And I use it more than probably any other single book in the Bible, because most people who come to my office come wanting to talk about relationships. It could be marriage. That's probably the number one thing. It can be parenting. That could be the next. It can be employer, employee, you know, it can be church, you know, uh, it could be neighbors, uh, all kinds of sibling, whatever, but it's usually relationship oriented. And, you know, uh, again, and of all the things when we think about that rob us of our joy, it's usually not circumstances, is it? If you, if you said, well, what robs you of your joy? Most of us would say it's people, the, the people. And, and in the true sense, Paul is pointing out that people really can't rob you of your joy because your joy comes from the inside, not from the outside. People can mess with your happiness because that has to do with what? Your happenings. But they can't, in the truest sense, mess with your joy. But oftentimes we equate the two together there. I remember at a senior pastor's conference years ago, Pastor Chuck Smith was sharing and half kiddingly, he said, you know, he said, you know, the ministry would be great if it wasn't for people. And uh, he was talking to senior pastors and just the struggle, you know, that goes through. It's like ministry's great, but, you know, it, it's hard. Uh, you know, I was having a conversation with, with someone yesterday, you know, here at the church. And, and uh, they were talking about the, the, like the number of people who really actively make a church happen. And it's really, I said, it's probably 20%. You know, it's the like the Pareto principle in business. You know, 80% of the ministry gets done by 20% of the people. I mean, people come to church and they attend church. And we're and I'm grateful for that. I appreciate it. Love to be able to share God's love. And, and again, we serve not just the people that go to our church, but we serve people that don't go to our church. That's one of the things with Together We Can is just serving people, uh, showing people Jesus' love. But it's interesting, you know, that, the interpersonal relationships, you know, within a church, uh, the really, it's the, the strongest relationships are those connections that you have because you're part of a smaller group. You know, it's not just going to a church, but it's really, it's having that where we say that, you know, we are family. And in most people, you know, that, that I know in, in church uh, discover that probably their, their, their church family over time is actually stronger in their relationships and maybe even their biological relationships. You know, the blood of Jesus, they say blood's thicker than water, right? You go and thinking and speaking of family, you know, blood ties. Well, we have a blood tie because of Jesus. Amen. And, and, and there's no tie that's greater than that because what you'll find, uh, especially in a book like this, and you, you see in the New Testament, because of the persecution against the true church, you know, again, if you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, you're going to suffer persecution. And there's one thing that, you know, that old expression in the world, misery loves company, you know, uh, and that's the way the, of the world. But here's the comfort, this consolation that he's talking about, this comfort is knowing that we don't suffer alone. You know, we have a God that suffers with us. We suffer together. That's why Paul would write, we comfort one another with the comfort that we have been comforted by God. We rejoice with those that rejoice and what we sorrow with them that sorrow. We're in this together. Uh, the ministry's a long haul and, and that's not everybody. So I get that. I mean, there's people because the person was saying, God, just see people, they just come and they go, they just come and they go, they come and they go and they go, you know, but there is that, there's that core. There's those pillars that man, they're immovable and every church has them. And we're blessed, you know, by that, because that's where really the strength and the stability comes. And again, it's just one of these great things that, you know, as I was reading through this, this week and reminded of pastor Chuck's statement there, you know, it's the blessing, but it's also the heartache of it. And so relationships, I mean, you know, we've got to work on those all the time. 
You know, relationships take work. Uh, you know, as I was listening to Pastor Skip uh, this last week, he said regarding relationships, he said, relationships take a lot of work and every person in the world is incompatible with every other person. That stuck out. <laughs> he said, you spend enough time, I'm kind of paraphrasing a lot of his thought here. He said, you know, if you spend enough time together, it'll reveal this truth. The longer that you're around people, what? The less you like them. You know, the more you're around Jesus, guess what? The more you'll love him because he's perfect in all of his ways. But, you know, people were what? We're, 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 we're fallible. That's why scripture says to do what? To bear with one another, right? To do what? Put up with each other. You know, even if somebody just say, hey, I'm just putting up with you. Well, thank you. You know, thank you. You know, that's what God calls us to do. You know, sometimes, that, sometimes that's the only thing you know, that we can do. And yet, you know, I, I look at this, you know, people are, you know, they're a threat to our joy. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 14 and 16, he said, you're the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill can't be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. He said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, glorify your father in heaven. You know, it, it's easy for someone to read a passage like this, and we think of it about us shining, right? It's like, it's about me, like I'm in the spotlight, you're in the spotlight. And that's not what Jesus is talking about here. When he's talking about letting our, our, our light shine, it's really, if you had a flashlight, I was going to bring my favorite flashlight today. Most people that know me know I, I, for some reason, I like flashlights. I've always liked flashlights. And I have this really, really good flashlight. It's about three inches long and, and it's got 10,000 lumens. I mean, it by itself, like this one, like that John has back that he's shining back there. How many lumens is that? 750. That's 750. Like you can look, look back there. Look at that. Look at the light that he has. 750. Okay. I have one that's 10,000 lumens and it's just three inches. And it's so fun because it'll actually burn your hand if you hold it too long. You, have, you can't even use it on the highest setting. I use it sometimes at night because I have these glow in the dark uh, balls that we use for my dog to be able to play on the golf course at night. So what I do is I hold the ball in my hand and I stick my flashlight underneath it. I turn it on. And in about 10 seconds, that thing is green. I mean, it's, it's like it was sitting on the sun. And so I can hit that thing for an hour for her, you know, to play with. But we're called to be a reflector. We're not the, in the truest sense, we're not the light. Jesus is the light, amen? We are called to reflect that light. Well, that re reflection is always outward. And the danger of it is when we turn that light on ourselves. And, and Paul is, is speaking to an issue, obviously, that happens here in the church in chapter four, you know, there's two women that Paul is making reference to by name that are creating some kind of, you know, upheaval, division in the church there. And so he has them in mind, obviously, when you read this in context here in chapter two, is how do we, you know, again, we're going to have struggles in relationships and how do we, you know, build joy-filled relationships, you know, that really bring us joy in this life. And and so it's it's, it's a reminder of that, is that, you know, the key thing here is being that reflector, you know, and, and I kept thinking as I was praying through this this week, it was like the Lord kept bringing this to my mind was don't block my view. Have you ever had anybody block your view before? Have you ever been to an event or something where somebody was blocking your view? Uh, my wife loves the Dodgers. Okay. And so for years, I would take her every year to opening day. She, she liked to go. And so we would get tickets 
and I'd always try to get good tickets that weren't real expensive. So I just, I get deals because I'll look and look and look. And uh, I found these tickets and they had that year, uh, Bob and Karen Fields had tickets on the first base side all the way up because Bob had a bum knee. So he was in like this, they had this not handicap section, but where up at the upper deck where you could just sit there in a chair. And uh, so we would go with them periodically and it was always a lot of fun. So got used to looking at the game for that angle. So for my wife's, it was either a birthday or opening day. I said, well, I'm going to get tickets on the rail so nobody can block my view. Right. And they had just redone the, the stadium that year. They put in all new grass and they added like six seats on the foul line on both sides, the first base and the third base side. So we're down, you know, about 180 feet, you know, 200 feet from home plate right on the rail. So we're sitting there in our seats and we're watching the game. And so if the game was played right in front of me where the right fielder was, nobody was blocking my view. But the way they did these seats home plate was almost behind the wall the way they came out with it so the guy next to me he's doing this he's to look at the batter right because the guy next to him is doing what he's leaning out so i look down and and my wife is sitting there so i go honey it's not going to make any difference what side you sit on because we can't see the game I go, because this guy's got his head out, because that guy's got his head out. I look, I'm standing up. I'm like, that guy all the way down there, 200 feet away, has got his head out. So everybody's sitting like this, and this guy's blocking, and, and he's apologizing to me because he's going, I can't see through his head, and you can't see through mine. They can't see. You know, I'm going, I know. It's just, it, and I was so mad. I was so mad. I was like, man, we paid good money not to have our view blocked. And guess what they did next year? took out the seats, redid them, reconfigured it. So they got a lot of complaints from, from people that were long-term, you know, seasoned ticket holders, right? And they're just going, these, these seats are terrible. That was polite what they said. But uh, they were so, so frustrated. And, and again, and, and I get it. And, and so as the Lord reminded me, you know, this week, you know, we're here not to block other people's view. You're alive today to bring glory to God. Do you, do you realize that? That you were created by God and you were created for God. Your life in the truest sense isn't your own. If you, how many like Gumby? I mean, you know, it's, I'm sorry I use these analogies sometimes, but how many remember Gumby? You know, do you remember the song with that? And I'm sorry, I'm gonna put this in your head. It's gonna be, you're gonna be singing it all afternoon. You know, some of you are married, you're gonna be going, what are you doing? You know, it's like, Pastor Mike, I'm so, he frustrates me because he puts these things in my head you know, remember Gumby, he's just a little green slab of clay. Gumby, right? He can walk into many. And so I know, okay. You know, with his pony pal pokey too. Come on, you guys want to sing it? <laughs> so you think about this. He's just a slab of clay, right? Well, that's what you and I are. We're just dirt clods that God breathed life into. You're a glorious dirt clod, though. I just want you to know why. Because God breathed life into you, right? But otherwise, we're just dirt. But he breathed life into us. So think about this. If, if God made you, does that make you responsible to him? Or do you just, you know, he made you and, and you just live life on your terms, however you please and do whatever you want to do. And there's many people that live that way. But when you, when you finally put it all together, you go, wait a second, I was created for a purpose. 
They say the two best moments, you know, of, of a person's life is the day they were born. And then the second is the, is the day that they find out or discover why they were born. And, and, and Paul answers that, that we were chosen in Christ Jesus. We are God's poema, you know, in Ephesians 2, his workmanship, right? You're his work of art. And he stresses it in chapter 1, that he's begun a good work in you, that your life belongs to him. It doesn't belong to you. And yet the problem that we all have is, you know, we, we end up blocking other people's view. Because why? Because we focus on ourselves and not on him. And you think about that, you know, in your life. There in, in, in Philippians 4, 2, again, what he's talking about, again, when he's addressing this problem between these two women, he says, I implore Euodia and I implore uh, Syndici uh, to be of the same mind in the Lord. So he's referring, you know, here in, in chapter 2 to what he's speaking about. So this is one of the issues of why he wrote this letter to begin with. He's echoing the same thing that we, we find in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. He says, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. I try to remind you all the time, you know, we are broken people. We forget that. Living in a broken world amongst other broken people. We're redeemed, right? But we're broken. We're flawed. We're sinners. But the Bible says what? We're sinners saved by God's grace. Amen. And so Paul, he recognizes, and we have to remind ourselves that there's only two types of people that, he, that are in the world. And this is how he sees them. It makes it pretty simple. You're either saved, going to heaven, or you're not saved, and you're going to hell. And, and that's how he saw life. It's how he saw people. And that's what determined how he responded to them. If they were going to hell, what did he do? He shared the gospel. We should be doing the exact same thing, but we don't because why? We get into situations and we think, what is this going to make me look like? I mean, what are people going to think of me if I was to share Jesus with them? Oh, I'm not an evangelist, right? So we use that one all. It's just not my gift. No, might not be, but the Bible says, again, here's, are we going to agree with God or are we just going to go with our own pride? Because that's what it is. Because this is the pride of what? I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to look bad. I, I don't, I'm not really sure, you know, if I would say the right thing or do the right thing. Me, 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 me. The focus of the light becomes it's on me as opposed to being outward going, God, I'll be a fool for Christ's sake if that's what it takes. I'm driving down the road with Buddy the other day. Buddy, he, he, and I can't believe he does it. We pull up to a stop. I wouldn't necessarily recommend this, you know, in the world today, but I got to appreciate, you know, his willingness. We pull up to a stoplight. Buddy rolls down the window. There's a lady. And her, and her daughter, I, I would imagine, you know, as I'm looking out and they got their window down and Buddy goes, hey! And, I'm, and, and the lady looks at him, she smiles at him and Buddy goes, uh, do you have a church? And we're at a stoplight. And, uh, and uh, she goes, no, I don't. And he goes, well, I want to invite you to go to Calvary Chapel. Well, the light turns green, but I'm thinking, heck, he's, he's in the middle of something here. So, so I'm holding up traffic now. You know, Buddy, finish the conversation. Come on, you know, it's like, you know, he's doing the work of an evangelist, you know, right there in the intersection. You know, people are honking, you know, telling me I'm number one. You know, I was like, yeah, yeah, buddy, preach it, buddy. But you go, but I would never think buddy was an evangelist, right? But he's what? Something prompted him. Something prompted him in that moment, you know, to do it. And you go, wow, not worried at all what people thought, you know, not a care in the world. Being what? A reflector, reflector of that light. And that's what God's called you and I to do. The unsaved person, you know, they don't struggle in the sense that we struggle. 
they're they're walking in the flesh because what they're living in the flesh that's what we're doing that we we get that the battle started as soon as you gave your heart to the lord you know when you read romans 7 you can read that for yourself you know i remind you of all the time you know romans 7 you know 14 through 20 you know is that it's no longer i who does it paul says but what the sin that dwells within me there's a war that's going on inside of each and every one of us that's why like i said we're all fighting an uphill battle we're all fighting a battle and you think of, you know, what, what sin there in Romans 7 do you think Paul is talking about? He's not talking about your specific, you know, whatever might be the struggle in your life. No, you take it back to, again, in context, in chapter 1, he was talking about the sin of pride. Because pride is the root of all other sin. It's what got Lucifer kicked out of heaven. You read I know, Isaiah chapter 7 there. We'll get there more in a moment. But in Philippians 2, you know, one through four there, Paul, he just lays out, you know, for us a couple of do's and don'ts. Uh, actually lays them out as don'ts and do's with regard to building and maintaining, you know, relationships, you know, that are healthy. It, it's interesting. There was a story that Skip Heitzig had shared about uh, Bernard Rimlin. I want to read this to you because it was so, so powerful when you think about this, especially again, thinking in context of the book of Philippians and Paul from a Roman prison is writing about joy and how to have joy in our life, you know, on a consistent basis that isn't moved by circumstance and situation. You know, and all of us, we read that and we go, that's the kind of joy I want. I don't want it to, you know, be hot today and cold tomorrow, you know, up and down. And, and you find, you know, Paul is, man, he's a steady Eddie. And you go, why? Well, because that joy comes from within. And so it's interesting when you, you think of this study. It says, Bernie was the director of the Institute for Child Behavior Research. He conducted a study, and at the end of the study, he concluded that the happiest people in the world are the humblest people in the world. And you think about that. The happiest people are the humblest people. He said, each person in the study involved was asked to list 10 people that they knew best and to label them happy or unhappy. I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Think of 10 people that you know best and label them happy or unhappy. So you think of 10 people you know and label each one happy or unhappy, 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 happy, happy. Says so you do that with 10 people. Then you go through the list again and you label each one as selfish or unselfish. So go through, first and foremost, identify the people as happy or unhappy. Then go back through the same list of people and label them happy or unhappy. And in this, he says, using the following definition of selfishness, it says, here's his definition. A stable tendency to devote one's time and resources to one's own interest and welfare and unwillingness to inconvenience oneself for others. So let me read that again. His definition of selfishness. A stable tendency to devote one's time and resources to one's own interest and welfare an unwillingness to inconvenience oneself for others. He says, in categorizing the results, Rimland found that all the people labeled happy were also labeled unselfish. And he wrote, I'm quoting, those whose activities are devoted to bringing themselves happiness are far less likely to be happy than those whose efforts are devoted to making others happy. You know, and so I had the luxury of studying this, so I did it. And it's so true. It's so 
so true. No wonder then the Apostle Paul is called the Apostle of Joy. His whole life was devoted to serving Jesus. No wonder Jesus is, is joy. Joy to the world, for the Lord has come, right? You know, and you go, why? Because Jesus is joy. You know, God is love. Love is what? Patient, kind. You know, the fruit of God's spirit. Love is what? Love, joy, peace. And so joy, constant. C.S. Lewis said, joy is the serious business of heaven. You look there, again, in Philippians 2, 1 and 2 there. He says, so therefore, if any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy being like-minded. So he's going back and he's going, you know, what's our connection to joy? It's we're, we're part of the family of God. We're connected to joy. You, you, it's like, you know, you're, it's a, a, a transfusion, you might say. I mean, it's a direct link to joy. Because why? The Holy Spirit lives in you. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, the Holy Spirit came into your life. He resides there. There is joy within you that is just wanting to get out. I mean, in the truest sense. So it's like, are we going to allow God to do that? He says in chapter one again, that he who has begun this good work in you, it, it's in you already. It's not something you have to go get. Like people go, if I could just, if like they associate it with something, right? That's why, you know, what's the 10th commandment? Thou shalt not covet. Because we always think it's external. Well, if I just had this, if I had a million dollars, I'd be happy. No, you wouldn't. If you're not happy now, a million dollars would make you miserable. Because it would go really quick. And when you got down to the last like 10 bucks, you'd be, you know, <laughs> and, and then you go, where did it go? And trust me, they have, you know, people that have won the lottery, millions and millions of dollars. One guy, 150 million, blew it all within five years. 150 million. Wouldn't you like to have five years to, you know, I mean, blow 150 million dollars? But what did he say at the end of that? He said it ruined his life. Ruined his life. Yeah. He says, if any fellowship of the spirit of any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. So Paul's whole point there, again, what is he telling us? He said, since selfishness is all around you, you know, it shouldn't be amongst you. You know, it's keeping it out. That, that's the beauty, beautiful thing about sanctuary, sanctum, you know, that you're, you're keeping that out, you know, that you're, you're putting that out of your life. When you think about, you know, Jesus, his, his loving you, if there's any comfort and consolation, you know, in Jesus. Ask yourself this question. Has Jesus' love made a difference in your life? For you, just for yourself today, has Jesus' love made a difference in your life? And does it show up in the way that you live your life and the way that you treat other people? Does his loving you impact the way that you love and treat other people? Simple, simple things for us to think about today. What difference has Jesus loving you made in your life? And you ask yourself today, you know, do you want more joy? Because like, again, if you don't want it, you know, it's kind of the obvious question. If you don't want it, then there's there's no helping you. But I don't know anybody that's saying that. They say, hey, I don't, I don't want any more joy. But Paul gives us two things not to do. I love this. And two things to do. Verse 3 there, he says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition. Or you could just translate this selfishness. Don't be selfish. Don't be selfish. That's what you need to think about. You want more joy in your life? 
I mean, it sounds simple, doesn't it? Don't be selfish. It's not that simple. I mean, we understand it. But we're all selfish. You know, it's one of those things I, I think as a parent, you know, I never had to teach my kids to be selfish. I had to teach them not to be selfish, you know. If you're a human being, you, you understand what being selfish is. I love this quote from Newsweek magazine. It says, if Americans could have their wildest dreams come true, 38% would choose to win the lottery and 1% would pick world peace. <laughs> yeah, we're really concerned about all the things. That, no, our focus is on, on me, me. You know, we, we live in a selfie world, don't we? You know, selfies, you know, selfies are fun. You know, people take selfies, post them up. You know, I do it myself. Google, I looked this up yesterday, it says reports that its Android devices take 93 million selfies per day. And in one poll, 18 to 24-year-olds reported that every third photo they take is a selfie. Every third photo. So some subjects in one study reported taking more than eight selfies a day. Selfishness. Selfies, you might say. It's at the core of our fallen nature. Along with pride, it's the root of all sin. From Satan, to Adam and Eve, to you and me. It's a constant battle. That's why we pray, not my will, but what? Yours be done. See, every time I place my will above God's will, guess what? It's selfishness. So the next time when you go, oh, I know what the word says, but I don't agree with that. Just know you're being selfish. You're putting your will, like you know better, no, you know better than God. But Paul writes, let nothing be done through what? Selfish ambition. Because what you don't agree with doesn't disagree with you. What you don't agree with goes along with what you believe. That's what's so interesting. That's why people say, well, I believe this. Well, of course you do, because it works out for you. You know, what if it was to the benefit of the other person? You know, I remember years ago, my wife and I were, we were in a big, big struggle in, in our marriage relationship, I mean, a big, big struggle. And it was, it was my doing. It wasn't anything to do with her. And she was so mad at me. She said, you know, I need to, I need to talk with someone. And I go, talk to anybody that you want to talk to, honey. You know, I go, but you can talk to me. And I go, I, I can counsel you. And she's like, no, you can't. You're the problem. I go, doesn't make any difference. I go, the word of God's not a respecter of persons. I go, just for fun, just try me. Just, just walk me through it and, and I'll tell you. And so she walks me through it. I tell her from the word of God and she looks at me and she goes, well, you're, you're proving my point. You're agreeing with me. And I said, I didn't say that I didn't agree with you. I go, but the problem that I have is I go, God can't change my heart until I change my mind. And right now I'm not willing to change my mind. And because I'm not willing to change my mind, God won't change my heart. And I get that. And I go, that's where you just have to pray for me. And she's like, you know, and I will. And, and, you know, she would tell you, you know, she ended up, she had this, this dream and uh, where the Lord just woke her up and he said, you know, Lee, let me win. And she said, man, she went back to sleep and she was totally fine. And it, wasn't an issue for her any longer. And it was about, I don't know how many months later, but it wasn't weeks. It was months. And I remember, um, 
you know, going to her and I said, Hey Lee, I said, you know, the Lord told me to tell you that, you know, you win, you know, he, he wins and he won. And, and that's all that, that she needed there. But I get it. You know, when you place your will above God's will, when you, you know, uh, you want something or you're doing something, you go, it doesn't matter what the word of God says and you can justify it. You can justify it to yourself, but you can't justify it before God. It's just pure sin. It's pure selfishness. And you know, what's pathetic about what I'm sharing with you. You know, I could stand here today and I could tell you all kinds of sins and, and, you know, you, you might gasp at some, you know, oh, I can't believe that. You know, you might, some, I could tell you some, and, you know, you might go, oh, I don't even know if I could, you know, go to this church any longer. But I could say, you know, that, hey, um, I, biggest sin in my life is pride. And people go, okay, I get that. And you go, and, and yet scripture, you know, calls pride an abomination before God. Of all the sins that we should all be most disgusted about, it should be pride. But we accept it. You go, why? Because we're all prideful. It just demonstrates, you know, again, misery loves company. You know, we don't, we don't want to be, you know, we're not by ourselves. We can relate to it. You know, it's that old expression, you know, what we're not up on, we're down on. And so if I'm not committing that sin, you know, just like the Pharisees, man, I will pound you into the ground. Right? It's like me coming to you and going, hey, did you guys have your devotions this morning before you came to church? Did you? Did you? You know, and I go, why would I ask you that? Because I did. <laughs> I feel real good about asking, did you guys pray? Did you get up this morning and pray and seek God? You know, well, yeah, I feel good about that. Why? But, you know, I'm not going to, you know, hey, did you guys, you know, do this? And you go, why? Because I didn't do that. And that's what the Pharisees, you know, man, they were, they were heavy handed in that regard. And Paul says, but let nothing be done through selfish ambition. I mean, like I said, children. I mean, kids are so honest, right? Even when it's not good. You know, my grandkids are that way. They are really honest. They, they tattle on me every, every Monday, you know. And I just tell them, it's, they're my grandkids, my house, my rules. They're your kids. When you take them home, you, you raise them the way you want. You have the rules you have. But those rules do not necessarily apply at, at my house. You know, that's part of the joy of being a grandparent, you know. And uh, so, but... With our own kids, we'd, we'd, I mean, you do this as a parent, like when you'd be out and there's an accident and you'd tell your kids, Hey, let's pray for those, those, let's pray for that family. Right. That's just a great thing. If you don't do that, I want to encourage you to do it. Anytime you see a fire truck go by or an ambulance or police car and they've got their lights on, if you've got kids, we go, Hey, even my wife and I will do that. And you go, Hey, uh, kids, let's pray. Let's pray. Pray God's protection. Pray for his, you know, uh, healing, you know, whatever, how the Lord leads and let the kids pray. And there was a family that they were headed to McDonald's uh, to get lunch. And, and on the way to McDonald's, right by the McDonald's, there was an accident. So the traffic was stopped and all the kids, you know, they're looking up. And, and mom said, you know, hey, kids, there's an accident right there in, in front of the McDonald's. You know, you know, let's pray. You know, Johnny, do you want to pray? Yeah, yeah, okay, I'll pray, mommy. Uh, dear Jesus, uh, take care of the, the people. And uh, I hope everybody's safe. And uh, please don't let the accident block the driveway to the McDonald's. <laughs> you know, <laughs> amen. You know, yeah. <laughs> and you go, and that's such a beautiful, selfish prayer, right? You know, God, yeah, pray for them, but please, whatever you do, Jesus, do not let the McDonald's be blocked. I, I get that. You know, we're human. Verse three, the second thing, let me finish this up. Verse three, 
Don't be proud. Don't be selfish. Don't be proud. Those are the don'ts. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Conceit, that word there means empty glory, or in the New King, or excuse me, in the King James, it means vain glory. It's a person who has an exaggerated self-worth. It means they're they're puffed up. You know, the Bible says, don't be, don't be puffed up. Romans 12, 3 says, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. You know, again, what, what is Paul in Philippians 1, 1? He introduces himself. He says, Paul, a bondservant, a slave of Jesus Christ. Don't be proud. Don't be selfish. What do we need to do? A couple do's before we go. Look at there in verse three again. It says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. I love this. It's just, as you walk through this text, that's how you should read it. And you just go, let it, let it speak to you. What, what's he saying? Be humble. Be humble. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, What does that mean? Lowliness of mind. Does it mean that you should have low thoughts of yourself? I love that quote that says, you know, that we shouldn't think, you know, less of ourselves. We should just think of ourselves less. And that's really, really true. Don't think of yourself you know, less of yourself. Just think of yourself less. You know, so the secret Paul's saying here, if there's a secret in this, in spite of the people that are around us, is, is humility, is be humble. He's talking about humility because what? Unity is always born out of humility. John the Baptist, you know, declared, remember when his disciples came, said, hey, Jesus has got more followers than you. What did John say? He said, I must, what, decrease that he might increase. Yeah, it's being humble before God. But what keeps us from being humble? Augustine, one of the early church fathers, he said, pride is the love of one's own excellence. Thomas Aquinas, the medieval theologian, said this of pride. He said, excessive self-love is the cause of every sin. The root of pride is found to consist in a man not being in some way subject to God and his rule. John Stott, the famous British pastor, he once said this, pride is more than the first of the seven deadly sins. It is itself the essence of all sins. You know, you think about that. Pride. I mean, it's destroyed more churches, destroyed more families, destroyed more homes, destroyed more relationships. Yeah. You know, just that, the pride, the same pride that, like I said, got Lucifer kicked out of heaven. We see it all through the gospel accounts. In Mark chapter 9, we see the disciples arguing over which would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus, you know, being so patient with them, just like he is with me, like he is with you. He says, those who desire to be first will become what? Last. Yeah. The greatest is what? Not the leader in that respect. The greatest, he said, is the servant. Mark chapter 10. Remember James and John, they're arrogant and they're asking Jesus to allow them to sit, you know, on his right and left hand in heaven. The other disciples, you know, they became, you know, infuriated by it because they probably wanted the same position too. They were just mad that, you know, they had the faith to ask first. 
Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem council. Remember, they disputed, arguing amongst themselves, the requirements for salvation. You need to be circumcised. You know, what are the things that need to come with that? What food, you know, sundry laws do you need to apply? Paul and Barnabas, you know, arguing over John Mark. Paul calling Peter a hypocrite, you know, in Galatians 2, you know, when the Jews came, Jewish leaders, and, you know, wouldn't eat pork, you know, when he was just eating it, you know, day earlier there. There's tension in relationships because of pride. Proverbs 18, 12 says, before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty, before honor is humility. Proverbs 8, 13 says, the fear of the Lord is the hate to hate evil, pride and arrogance in the evil way, in the perverse mouth, he says, I hate. Proverbs 16, 5, he says, everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. I want you to think about that. An abomination. It says, though they join forces, none will go unpunished. Man, how much God hates pride. That might be a verse for us just to highlight and meditate on this week. You know, James, you know, chapter 4, Peter says the same thing. He says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You know, I love this, this quote I read this week. It said, the problems among us spring from the pride within us. The point being pride destroys intimacy, but humility unlocks rich relationships. And the last thing, you want to get along with anyone? Almost, almost anyone. Be humble. There in verses three and four, be respectful. It says, let nothing again be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for your own interest, but also for the interest of others. Look out for one another. You know, it's so easy, you know, when, when a phone rings, you know, usually what happens, you look at that and you go, depending on the person, you go, oh, oh what's it going to cost me? You know, we, we, we filter everything through ourselves, right? How much time, how much money, how much effort, blah, blah, blah. You know, aren't you glad that that's not how God looks at me and you? You know, there, there's two ways to walk into a room. We'll close with this. You can walk into the room and you can go, hey, I'm here. And a lot of people do that, right? Or you walk in, you and I walk into the room and we go, who's here? Who's here? And then who do, we, who do we gravitate to? Do we go to the most popular, the most well-liked? Who did Jesus gravitate to? Those who needed love the most. Those who were hurting the most. Those who were troubled the most. That's who Jesus was drawn to. That's why he was drawn to me. That's why he was drawn to you. And we're here to be a reflection, not of ourselves, but to be a reflection of him. Amen. What a privilege it is for us to know, to love, and to serve the Lord. It's a great book. And I hope you just you stay in it and just, just glean the little truths that Paul just throws out there along the way that we might experience more joy in our life, more joy in our relationships. You know, on the very front of this, you know, little booklet, you know, that we created, it says, you know, Calvary Chapel Bakersfield says where relationship with Jesus changes everything. Can you say that in your own life?
I hope so. And if not, I'd love to meet with you here after service and help you take those steps where you can have your sins forgiven, become that new creation in Christ where old things have passed away and all things become new. Find that joy, knowing that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. There's somebody out there that needs to hear that from you this week. Remember, there's only two types of people in the world. Those that are going to heaven, those that are going to hell. The people that are going to heaven are fighting a battle. There's a battle within every one of us, amen? And to encourage, to strengthen, to comfort, to do all the things, you know, edify, encourage, exhort, rebuke when necessary. And then there's people who don't know. They don't know the Lord. They're lost. And we're not to go out there to, you know, shine the light on us, but to be that reflection and go, hey, there's a better way. Hey, have you considered Jesus? Try it. You just might like it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your life. We thank you for loving us the way that you do. Thank you for, Lord, just being such a perfect example of what humility is and what sacrificial service is, preferring others over yourself, that you would leave the comfort of heaven, the glory of heaven, where, Lord, you were worshipped day and night. And yet you stepped into humanity. You, you clothed yourself with, with flesh. You became like us, that you could become our Goel, our kinsman redeemer, and save us from hell. Oh, what manner of love the Father has loved us, that we would be called the children of God. God, may that your love transform us, Lord. May you give us your love, Lord, for the world around us. We can see why it's so desperately needed in a world that's filled with sin and shame and hurt and sorrow, confusion, hatred. The opportunities for us to shine for you are like never before. Fill us, Holy Spirit. Fill us overflowing. That every person that we come in contact this week, Lord, has a sense that they came in contact with the very love of Christ. We pray these things for your glory and for our good as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.